0: Good morning, happy Sunday. It is time for this week's Q&A. Ugly sweater edition, if you think that's funny. Look at this. I got two, and I still don't know who sent these things to me, but let's dig into this week's Q&A. Got my neural coffee. I'm ready to rock. So. Um, quick review of this week on YouTube. Uh, if you haven't seen last week's Q&A, it is up there on YouTube. Um, also, the IFast podcast number seven. This might be interesting to, to many of you because we talk about continuing education as to uh, what we think are the, the what's, the how's, and the why's. I talk a little bit about the intensive as well, so you might find that of interest. Um, also, threw up this week, uh, a video concerning the influence of, of orientations. So we're talking about orientation of the thorax and the pelvis in regard to uh, how it influences your range of motion measures. So you might find that interesting as well. Up on uh, Instagram, threw up a couple of clips from the iFast podcast and also the Influence of Orientation videos that were on YouTube, so I put some segments of that on, on Instagram. Uh, in addition, I threw up a segment from the Cutting Mechanics video, which you might find interesting as to how the, the pelvic diaphragm uh, behaves during those cutting mechanics. We introduced Cartoon Bell <laughs> this week. It was just kind of funny, just a little, little thing that I, that I did that, that turned out to, to get a lot of attention. Um, and then we had a Terry Project update. So if you haven't seen that, it's been pretty fascinating to see see how Terry has changed over time and uh, showing his level of commitment to making some, some changes to his posturing. Terry's a dancer, and so, so posturing is very important to him. Um, and then, of course, the videos for the 16%. So now let's dig into this week's Q&A. My first question comes from my man, Greg. And Greg says, riddle me this, Batman. How can two individuals who present with the table tests of limited left hip IR at 10 degrees, limited hip ER at 30 degrees, and limited hip extension and sideline, both have shoulder internal rotation um, measuring of 10 degrees on the right, 30 degrees on the left, but at least 90 degrees of shoulder external rotation on the left and right, Yet one individual presents with a narrow and the other presents with a wide. How can this be? Well, first and foremost, let's not look at these things from the wide and narrow perspective. It doesn't mean that it's not an influence. It just means that it's not the deciding factor in your peripheral measurements. What the ISA is going to do is it's going to identify what the compensatory sequence of strategies will be. And so, again, if we look at the two archetypes, the narrow ISA is someone that has an inhaled axial skeleton with an exhalation strategy, and then the opposing archetype is someone that has an exhaled axial skeleton with an inhalation compensatory strategy. That doesn't mean that they can't present with very similar peripheral measures. Now, having said that, Greg, since you didn't give me a full chessboard, we can't give you an exact uh, recommendation as to how we would, would move forward and intervene with these two people, but you do have some tells there. So you do have a, a couple of coffee cups. So when you look at the, the hip, external rotation limitation and then you look at the excessive external rotation on the right so those two measures so the external rotation of the shoulder you mentioned was was greater than 90 degrees on the right and the hip external rotation measure was less than than normal on the right as well and so what those are in, indicating to you is that you've got an anterior orientation of the pelvis and a posterior orientation of the thorax on the right side. And so those are very, very telling in regard to what you might need to do to intervene because you've got a superficial strategy there. You've got a strategy that's above the pelvis and below the scapula that you're going to need to address first once you've established the dynamic ISA. So take your ISA measure. That's going to initiate your interventions, and then you've got to eliminate the superficial strategy. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of guidance in regard to what you're, you're asking me. But um, again, without laying out the full chessboard, we can't give you a, 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 a first intervention. You're going to have to do that one on your own. My next question comes from Marcos. And Marcos was, was talking about a client that, that's got some, some knee pain and he had a couple identifying factors, but but one of the things that, that he mentioned was looking at the wear pattern of their shoes, both clients biased towards uh, outside edge of their feet. My thought is that their femur is biased in internal rotation, but their foot is biased towards external rotation, putting torque on the knee. Am I on the right track? Entirely possible. So this is really, really common. Um, when we talk about about clients with with knee pain um, but it also brings up some interesting uh, elements that that you can also look at from a testing perspective to confirm uh, what you're looking at so, and and this goes along with another question that i got on instagram and I forgive me for not remembering who who asked this but somebody asked me about what tests that i use so when we're talking about knees if I do have a situation where I have tibiofemoral femoral ER, so the, the position is identified by the position of the tibia relative to the femur, so you have tibiofemoral femoral ER. So that's a position of knee extension. So if somebody presents with knee pain, what you may be dealing with is someone that cannot reorient the knee to allow normal knee flexion to occur. So heel to butt knee flexion is actually a really decent test that you could use to identify whether they're able to reorient the tibia or not. And then you could look at, Isolated tibial uh, internal rotation, external rotation measures, and and you can identify any deficits there. If you do have full heel to butt, but you have limited tibiofemoral internal rotation, then you've got some serious eccentric orientation on the on that. Uh, posterior medial compartment that's allowing a, a volumetric expansion on the, on the anterior medial side of the knee to occur. And so you're going to have to address that to sort of untwist the knee, if you will, and allow that tibiofemoral IR to, to return and restore normal knee mechanics. But uh, Marcus, I think you are absolutely on track with, with what you're, you're perceiving, assuming you've got confirming tests that give you that information. My next question comes from mitchell and mitchell says i was hoping to offer more insight about helices and how it pertains to the body i'm open to and agree that all movements are rotations but i'm getting lost when you start talking about helices and would greatly appreciate some clarification or at least a starting point from which i can start to learn from so we have to take a big step back to embryology first and foremost and we look at how our physical structure was formed and so you formed as a tube and so so those tubes have helices and that's why we're oriented as we are one of the best places to take a look at this is if you look at the the abdominal wall in the orientation of the musculature and you'll see that, that all those muscles are oriented in a helical format um, for very good reason because we use a compressive or an expansive strategy to move and that area is very representative um, to, to be able to see this visually. But if you look at all the muscles of the of the body, they are all oriented. on on diagonals and helical orientations. And so that's how we move through these compressive and expansive strategies and allow us to change shape and move through space. And so again, I would encourage you to take a look a little bit at some of the the embryological development of of how the body structure is is actually oriented. And then take a look at, at some of the anatomy apps are actually really, really good. I use Complete Anatomy right now. Um, as my primary app, so if you look at some of the orientations of, of the musculature there, if you look at some of the uh, tensegrity information, you'll see another um, level of of understanding of of that orientation. And uh, but but you know, if we didn't have this helical orientation, the the amount of energy that we would have to expend to move would be so much more significant. There would be so much greater stress load on, on the, the compression and tensioning elements of the, of the human body and it would be very, very destructive. And so again, the, the helices make it very, very efficient for us to, to move well um, the, this the physical structure of how a helix is actually formed is very energy efficient so that follows the rules of the universe without getting too too mystical if you will um, so again we're, we're just following the the simplest of rules when we're talking about structure and the the helix provides us the greatest element of efficiency and so that's why we're constructed that way but there's a lot of hints in the in the the biology, the physiology, and, and the physical structure. So, so please check those out. My next question comes from Brian, and Brian asks, "What drives the anterior compressive strategy of the pelvis, thus limiting hip IR due to increased fluid in the anterior pelvis?" Um, you've explained that a concept of the pelvic, a orientation of a posterior pelvic concept of orientation about posterior pelvic musculature occurs due to the elongation and shape change of the posterior pelvis with an anterior compressive strategy. So, so Brian, this is really cool because I had, a, I had another question um, from, from somebody that, that's actually coming to the Intensive 10, um, that, that very, very similar question. And so, so let me grab my pelvis real quick and we will, um, we'll go through that again. All right, so I have my pelvis. And, and Brian, I need you to understand something that, that I have a plastic model, so the amount of shape change here is very, very limited. But you have to understand that, that bones torque and bend and compress and elongate uh, based on the stresses that are applied. If they didn't, they would, they would snap. Um, and we don't really want that. That's a bad thing. Um, so when we're talking about an anterior compressive strategy on, on the pelvis, what we want to do is we want to look at, at analogous musculature and we want to look at iterations of structure and so between my fingers here i have the pubis which is representative of the sternum and the in the the pelvis and so the musculars that, w- that we have attached here so we say adductor longus adductor brevis could be representative of how the the, the sternal pec major behaves in in the, in the thorax and can create this compressive strategy but if i compress from the front and I don't compress posteriorly, then as I push volume down into the pelvis, I get expansion in this direction. And so again, I'll get a shape change that elongates the pelvis in this direction. Well, if I look at analogous musculature in in the hip, relative to what I would say in in the thorax. So if I'm looking at um, what would limit internal rotation of the shoulder that would be something like infraspinatus if you will on the on the scapula. So now I have to decide well what is my infraspinatus in the pelvis and this is actually actually very very simple. And so if I elongate the the pelvis in this direction what I'm doing is I'm is I'm turning... The, this, this ilium, such that it, it elongates in this direction, which would elongate this segment as well. And so on, on this element, we look at the musculature that's attached um, posterior to the hip that we would say is an external rotator. And so here I would say that I've got my superior gemelli, I've got the external portion of the obturator internus, I've got inferior gemelli, and then I've got quadratus femoris. And so those are analogous to the infraspinatus in the shoulder. So it's very, very, very simple. And so if I if I orient this such that I bring the two ends of the muscle closer together, so, so as I elongate this, it's gonna turn, it's gonna open this way because I've got expansion, whoops, I've got expansion in this direction. So if this turns and orients as such, I bring the two ends of the muscle close together. So that creates a concentric orientation, that creates external rotation, and that steals my internal rotation. So this is actually really, really quite simple. So it's the anterior compression, on the front, allows this to expand posteriorly. I get a shape change in the pelvis. I get a reorientation of musculature on the back side of the hip. So, on the front side of the hip, and this would typically happen with a narrow IPA, by the way. So, let me clarify that, if you will. And so with a narrow IPA, I have an expansion strategy here that prevents me from turning inward. So again, I have this perfect storm of losing internal rotation and gaining external rotation. So hopefully that answers that question for for both of you guys. And and, um, if that doesn't clarify, then make sure you follow up with another question, please. So my next segment It is actually not a question, it was a comment from Eli, but I thought it was really profound and perceptive. And so I wanted to include it in this week's Q&A. And Eli says, I was looking at the pump handle as being similar to hip extension. If I can't depress the pump handle, then my neck will substitute the remainder by extending. And Eli, I think think you're dead on. And and what you're doing now is you're looking at, at the body segments and the iterations and the analogous structures. And I think this is actually brilliant. And so if you had an up pump handle, most likely the compensatory strategy that you're looking at is dorsal rostral compression. So this would be equivalent to nutation in the pelvis. And so if I have a nutated sacrum, then chances are I can't reorient the pelvis posteriorly. And so the greatest deficit you'll typically see under those circumstances is a lack of hip extension and and an increase in in, uh, the, the bilateral external rotation strategy in the lumbar spine, which we would typically call extension. And so if we move up into the thorax and we close off that dorsal rostral area, which is equivalent to nutation, you're definitely going to see the neck move into extension, just as you described. So well done, Eli. Keep up the great work and keep up your offerings. I truly appreciate it. So my next question comes from Ben. And Ben says, how does grip variance affect the elbow and shoulder function? Um, how does it differ with the index versus pinky dominant grip? So what, what Ben is asking is, is about a radial versus an, an ulnar grip, and how does that affect the upper extremity? And So this is actually really, really simple when when we look at it from a, a gym perspective. So we can pick a couple of exercises here. So let's use um, an elbow extension movement, like uh, using a, a pulley for what we would typically refer to as a triceps activity where we're, we're uh, extending the elbow. So if I'm using a pronated grip so I'm using a, a radial dominant grip and I'm performing this this pushing element I'm driving a lot of pronation with that with that radial side grip And again, that's a propulsive compressive strategy. So if that's the goal, if I'm trying to increase my propulsive capability or I'm trying to reinforce the ability to create a compressive strategy, so force production, then that pronated grip, the radial grip will be very, very powerful under those circumstances. If I'm trying to drive an expansive strategy, so I would actually reverse gears a little bit and I'll probably use something that looks like a dumbbell curling activity, which would be the ulnar side grip and I can actually unbalance the load under certain circumstances with with a dumbbell. So uh, if I I move my index finger to the inside of the weight and I have an an, uh, unbalanced load that would drive harder, uh, which would increase my amount of supination, then I can reinforce that ulnar side grip if I'm trying to create an expansive strategy. So the dumbbell curl would be an expansive strategy because it's dominant on the ulnar side grip. And then the triceps activity or elbow extension activity would be more of the propulsive radial side grip. And so depending on whether we're trying to reinforce the strategy or overcome a strategy. Now we have targeted exercise selection. So we'll use this with our athletes quite a bit because we don't like to treat our athletes like rehab clients. And so what we can do is just identify what we're trying to reinforce or overcome. We build that into the program through exercise selection rather than, again, trying to have them perform some form of rehab that they they don't need. So Ben, this is a great question. Um, It's a great way to, to target elements in the gym again to reinforce or overcome the the necessary strategies so great question so my next question comes from justin and just says ask can you break down the shape change of the pelvis and behavior uh of the pelvic floor during acceleration and max velocity sprinting absolutely um justin what i want you to do is i want you to see the the cutting video that's on on youtube because the the public diaphragm mechanics are going to be very very similar to entering and and leaving the cut because the pelvic diaphragm is behaving such to position the extremities and then to produce whether uh, the positioning strategies or the propulsive strategies and so if I, if I grab my pelvis here if i'm orienting the the extremity uh, whether i'm accelerating or whether i'm at top speed so so basically we're looking at, at that type of an orientation but to position the extremity in line so so we're, we're near that zero degrees of of hip extension or we're talking about a max propulsive strategy so to position my extremity the anterior pelvic diaphragm is going to eccentrically orient to to allow that that extremity to be positioned there as i apply force to the ground i need an an overcoming strategy so so now i'm going to become more concentrically oriented and and overcoming to produce the, the the force and so again the difference between acceleration and and the the top speed mechanics in this circumstance is how quickly all of this occurs. So when I'm accelerating, I have a lot of ground contact time. And so so the transition from the eccentric to concentric will be much, much slower because again, I'm not moving as fast and my ground contact times are, are, are longer. At top speed, as I strike the ground, i'm i'm there for a, a split second and so i'm landing and propelling very very close to match propulsion so in in the flight phase of top speed where i'm n- no longer in contact with the ground my my pelvic diaphragm again the anterior pelvic diaphragm is going to eccentrically orient to position the extremity below me relatively speaking and then as i hit the ground i get this incredibly fast propulsive Uh, phase that allows me to to continue to propel myself Um, and and so again that would be the the biggest difference between acceleration and and uh, top speed but as far as the ability to orient the body in those positions the same strategy has to occur because they're relatively the same position again the only difference would be how quickly the the forces that are being applied um, create this transition from an eccentric to a concentric orientation. So hopefully that sheds a little bit of light on that for you. And again, if I need to clarify that that uh, more, please ask another question. So that wraps up this week's Q&A. Hope it was useful. Um, if you have any further questions, please post them or send them to me at askbillhartman at gmail.com. Happy to answer those. I've got a couple questions that I'm going to roll over into uh, some morning Q&A. For, for next week during the holiday week, so, so be looking for those. Um, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Hope you got your neuro coffee like I got mine, and we'll see you next week.